as well as feeling at home here for the reasons that I said at the beginning, I feel it's good to be back here. I was at university in Norwich um, at UEA back in the 80s. So when I get to travel around now with this role for our denomination and travel around um, the country, uh, I was looking forward to coming to this part of the world because it holds um, a special place for me in my heart and uh, that's important to me. If some of you tick that you have come, raised your hands, that you, ha you have been to Chichester at some point, it's not hard for you to picture Chichester, I don't think. You just need to picture like a pretty cathedral city with loads of history, with a bit of Roman background that looks beautiful, that's a little bit pleased with itself. If you can picture that sort of a place, then you can picture what Chichester is and it's great to be there. I've been there for 23 years and now I have this role where I'm away 50% of the time serving the Baptist Union of Great Britain or Baptist Together as we say and that's 2,000 churches across our denomination in a variety of contexts and you get to take a message to them and I'm taking this theme where do we grow from here there's a website if you want to follow it and you can also follow it on Facebook or Twitter if they're your things so at Ken Lemben or facebook.com Ken Lemben so yes so my name is Ken Ben both of those names rhyme and it's worse than that my middle name is in fact Leonard so I really am Ken Len Ben which was a deliberate joke by my dad believe it or not wouldn't it be good he said if all of his names rhymed and obviously I wasn't around to have any input into that brilliant idea and so now I have to live with it but one of the few advantages of it a couple of advantages I think one is that people tend to say it in a friendly way it's you can't, hard to say Ken Len Ben in a kind of angry way I have switched over oh has it gone to something on your screen and um, the second advantage is that that name shockingly wasn't taken on Twitter nobody else seems to have that name so I didn't need to add numbers to it or on Facebook fa facebook.com forward slash Ken Ben if you want to follow something of this theme I want to link it to your theme you have a key text uh, for this year from the Great Commission and I'm going to read that to you it won't be on the screen but I'll give you the verses within this subtitle uh, whatever, uh, whenever, wherever, um, is what I want us to look at. And so the first reading is from Matthew 28, and from verses 16 to 20. If you've got a church Bible, it's page 1000 and 1001. And then I'm going to look at Colossians 3 and verse 23, which is page 1184. So first of all, from page 1000, 1001, the Great Commission, a key text for you for this year. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And then Colossians 3, verse 23 and 24, page 1184 in your Bibles, says this. Whatever you do, so let me just pause there. Picture wider than a church role, wider than whatever rotors you're on. Uh, it could be your workplace, could be your home, could be some leisure thing. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. 
it is the Lord Christ you're serving. I'm using the slightly newer NIV if it's slightly different to your version. So my theme that I'm taking to various churches is to ask them the question and ask if you would consider the question, where do we grow from here? Believing that our Lord wants his church to grow, that he is growing his church globally, actually. That place in India where I, where I described, even though it's persecuted, is growing massively um, among tens of thousands um, at, at the moment. In really encouraging context. And globally, the church has never grown faster than it is today. But it's not a given that he will grow his church in our country. And it's not a given that he will grow his church in our stream of churches. So it's a question worth asking, where do we grow from here? And the first thing I'm encouraging people to do is to consider that as a prayer. Would you pray it with me? Lord, where do we grow from here? And when I do that, I'm just going to highlight some words from it. I want to highlight the word we. Because first of all, I have to consider it as a personal question. Lord, where do I grow from here? It's ridiculous to think of church growth without personal growth. So where do I grow from here? And then that word we, hopefully we're thinking wider than Norwich Central Baptist Church. We're thinking of our city. And then beyond the city, we're thinking of our stream of churches. Where do we grow from here? It has to be a kingdom thing rather than an individual thing. And then I'm going to highlight the word here for you. And then say, really my phrase is a play on words for directions, isn't it? Where do we go from here is what we'd normally say. If you're going to stop someone and ask them for directions, which I didn't need to do to find you today because the roadworks haven't started yet and it's all good and I'd have sat nav anyway. But if you do then, and ask someone for directions, you ideally want to stop somebody who knows where here is. If they know where here is, then they've got a fair chance of telling you where there is. And so, same with our churches. If we're going to ask where do we grow from here, where is here? What's the current state of play in our nation and in our churches? There are particular challenges today and particular opportunities. And then we look at the word grow and we can say, first of all, let's just admit that we don't do growth. God does growth. But maybe he calls us to be good gardeners who create the circumstances where growth is most likely to happen. There's more than one sort of growth. Some growth is probably isn't the sort of growth that pleases our fathers, just transfer growth from one church to another. But we can grow in maturity, in Christ-likeness, and we can grow in terms of people committing to and becoming more like him. That's real growth. And then once we've done that, then we can look at the word, I'll go back one. Actually, it doesn't want me to go back one. Uh, uh, then we can look at the word where. And when we've looked at the word where, we can say, well, there might be a variety of different good examples among those 2,000 churches. In my church, we don't pretend to have all of the answers at all. But we've seen some growth over those 23 years. And a couple of things have been key for us. One has been trying other ways of gathering in addition to the main Sunday service. Alternative gatherings for the sake of people who foreseeably wouldn't come to any church in our city. And the second has been emphasizing what we call whole life discipleship. The, the place where people find themselves in the whole of their lives. And it's that theme I want us to consider today. And in order to do that, I borrow some of the resources from an organisation I also represent, LICC, the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity. One or two of you are nodding. It's an, it's an organisation that somebody called John Stott set up. And it, they use the term frontline, which I think is really helpful. Frontline is wider than workplace, it just asks the question, where is it in your week that you spend most time with people who aren't yet believers? 
that's your front line. Now, some of you, you need to get past the fact that front line is also the name for the number one flea treatment for cats and dogs in the UK. And that's where your mind went to as soon as I said frontline. And some of you weren't thinking that, and now you are, and I apologize for that. But if we can all just think and picture, where is it in our week? Could be home with our family, could be our neighborhood, could be our leisure place, might well be our workplace, where we spend most time with people who aren't yet believers. That's our front line. What does that look like? So for me, I spend a lot of my day with people who are believers. So a couple of my front lines are leisure things. I play tennis uh, and I play golf. And I've often found that when I play a round of golf, that's a front line for me. I meet somebody I've never uh, played with before. We, I, it's often around halfway through, like about nine holes in, that they, say, they ask me what I do for a living. And I, I tell them I'm a minister of a church. And their reaction is very much like yours now, kind of silence. And I've learned that what they're really doing is they're rethinking the last hour and a half, two hours. <laughs> and they're trying to remember what they've said and done. I've known them apologize for their language at that moment and all sorts of things. Not that I was particularly worried about that. But more importantly, they're also trying to remember how I was for those last two hours, you see. They're trying to remember how I was when things went well and things went badly for me or for them. How did I treat the people in the shop before we went out? How was I when we were made to wait? And the thing is this, they're not expecting perfect. They're just expecting a difference in the light of this knowledge that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. And it's the same for all of us. They're not expecting perfect, our friends, and our frontline connections. They're just expecting some sort of a difference. So to equip people for all of their lives becomes the key thing, I think. And, and in answering the question, where do we grow from here, you see, it's, it's not, the answer is not going to fundamentally come from a, a new program that your church does. It's not going to come from some new leadership initiative or from the leaders of your church, particularly, though that's important. It's going to come from each one of us accepting that, that it, it starts with us wherever we are. We'll never get anywhere until we're all equipped for our everywhere, you see. So what that really means, I think, is that it's not a new program. It's not a new initiative that I'm bringing. But it's a new way of thinking about what it's like when we gather together. Now, this is my church in the background. And we recently completed, not recently, a few years ago, completed a new building project. And when we completed it, I wanted to put this sign, this is not it, behind the stage. You know, just to convey some messages. Now, older, wiser people than me explain that that may not be the most welcoming sign for people who've just found their way into church and are looking for hope. And I can see that. But I wanted people to know that in terms of us as a church, we don't think we're it. And in terms of what goes on on a Sunday, we don't think this is it. It's about equipping, equipping people for all of their lives, you see. And in terms of what God is doing in our lives, we don't think this is it. We think it's, it's, it's ongoing. And actually, globally, and, and in terms of the, the bigger picture, we don't think this is it because we wait for Christ's return, you see. So our hope isn't based on what happens at the end of October in national and international politics. That, that, that's not it either. Whatever happens, our hope is based on Jesus Christ and his hope um, that he gives us. 
And that, and that means that we should be people on our front lines who convey hope over and above any national mood of despair or anxiety. Because our hope is based somewhere else, you see. Now, I accept that that wasn't the most welcoming sign, and so we don't have that sign. But we have that kind of value. Which means that when we gather together, it's about equipping for when we're scattered. For wherever we are. For all of our lives. So really, a sermon, I think, is like the half-time team talk in a game that's got two halves. It could be football, rugby, or hockey. I was hoping that Norwich City would have made a comeback after the first half, and that would be a great <laughs> illustration for you for this Sunday, but they didn't, and they lost to Palace. Sorry about that. But those of us who stand here, we should be equipping, encouraging, resourcing, giving tactics and ideas to get back out there in the game. And, and we should have our own stories in that analogy, so that we're player managers. So where is the half-time team talk in this passage, in the Matthew passage that is your text for this year? It's a key text for all of us. I'm sure you can see that. It's a text where it has the idea of things that are vital to Baptist churches, things that we hold dear. All authority is given to um, Jesus. So we're, we're to go to all nations, baptizing them. That's key to us. Um, in, in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. It's to a mixed group of people. Some believed and some doubted. And he just commissions them all. Um, and it's vital in a whole variety of ways. Where's the whole life discipleship half-time team talk in this passage? Right at the end of the passage, Jesus says, And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. When I think of that phrase, always, I think of Jesus saying, And I'm with you now. And then when you've died, I'm going to be with you in eternity. I'm with you always. And that's true and right. If I tell you, though, that in Greek it's not one word, always. It's three words. Jesus promises to be with us all the days. Now, for me, that's, that's subtly different. It means he promises to be with us now and in eternity. But it also means he promises to be with us in all the days in between. Good days, bad days, and a whole bunch of average days. If you're a minister or a church leader, nobody rings you to say they're having an average day. <laughs> Neither would, do we particularly want them to, actually. Um, although, give it a go, maybe, this week. But many of us are not going to have an extreme day tomorrow. And Jesus promises to be with us all the days. When I left Norwich to, uh, from university, I started on a graduate scheme with a department store group that was at the time doing quite well, called Debenhams. It's not doing quite so well now. And my minister, I went to a good church in South London, my minister thought my issue as a Christian would be one thing, it would be Sunday trading. Well, Sunday trading was an issue, um, it wasn't particularly my issue, and whatever you think of that issue, You'd have to walk very far from here after this service to know that that ship has sailed. But my, my daily issues, my all the days issues, were a variety of things. And they're the things that are, we can equip people for, I think. My issues were, how do you do a good job in a massive corporate organization <clears throat> that wants so much of you, it's as though it wants your soul? How do you work Christianly 
in an environment, I worked in the Oxford Street store in London, the biggest store in the biggest high street in Europe. How do you work Christianly among 500 young people, and I was a young person myself then, when the prevailing atmosphere is one of flirting? How do you talk about customer needs when really you mean wants? When is it a good thing to help somebody to spend a little bit more because the thing that they've paid for will last a bit longer, bring greater pleasure, and probably have treated the people who built it better? And when is it just greed? How do you arrest somebody for theft in a Christian way? How do you sack somebody? Because you have to in the end, and do so in a Christian way. How do you help a colleague who's just made a massive mistake in her private life, and now the whole of menswear know? These and other things were my daily issues. And I put it to you that they're not so different to other people's issues. And we have the opportunity, when we gather in a way like this, to equip people for all of their lives. Whenever, whatever, wherever. That's whenever, in all the circumstances. In that Colossians reading, it says, whatever you do, whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. There's a very similar passage in Ephesians which says, um, serve wholeheartedly, Ephesians 6 and verse 7, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not human masters or not men. That word wholeheartedly, it means with goodwill. When you look at the context of both Colossians and Ephesians and those instructions, whatever and with goodwill, and who it's given to, it's given to masters, and it's given to whole families, and it's given to slaves. And that's important because we think within the, the basic DNA of the gospel message, it is so for equality of all people, of all kinds, that in the end, slavery is untenable, and Christians should be and were at the forefront of ending slavery and should be wherever we find it still today. Nevertheless, at any given moment, there are some people who are slaves. And those people are told, whatever you do, do it with goodwill to those around you. So this means that we're called to do that, that whatever, whenever role, with goodwill, wherever we find ourselves, regardless of whether we feel like we want to be there or not. I love the comedian Milton Jones. He's a Christian, and he talks about his faith quite openly. He's said before that Christianity is a bit like knitting. It's basically good but it seems to be responsible for some quite bad things at times. But he's also said this, Christianity is, come and find it, holy means set apart, not like a set of cutlery that only comes out on Sundays, more like a Swiss army knife. Remove a spinter here, cut a rope there, open a bottle anytime, anywhere, whatever the boss needs. There's something very powerful in that. Whatever the boss needs, with goodwill, our boss being our heavenly father. That Colossians phrase, um, wherever you find yourself. The Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, was interviewed about his life before going into a church role. He worked in the oil business. And he said this. It's quite a small print, hope you can read it. Being in a world where almost no one the vast majority of people were not Christian believers and the challenge of what being a Christian meant in that world was hugely important to me and taught me to value the fact that everyone has a vocation. Everyone is called to be a Christian disciple, 
wherever they are. It's not just those who get, in, get ordained. I hope and pray that we can today re-envisage this serving as if we're serving for the Lord, not for human masters. When I think of that, I think of Shaker Furniture as one example. Now, Shaker Furniture is still very trendy. You can buy a kitchen in Shaker style, fitted kitchen. You know it's not real Shaker Furniture because the Shaker's never made fitted kitchens, but it looks like a Shaker style. If you want to go to a, uh, buy something that's genuine Shaker, say there's an antique shop in town somewhere, <coughs> and you're looking at something that looks like it might be a genuine piece of Shaker Furniture. I don't know a lot about antiques, but I know this. You can take this piece of furniture, and what you need to do is you need to look at a piece of the furniture that nobody is ever going to see. So you pull out a drawer, and you look at the joinery at the back of the furniture, not just at the front. And if it's genuine, the back will be made as well as the front. Why is that? Well, because the original shakers were believers. And their attitude was, well, God sees that work. God sees that. So I'm going to do whatever I do as if serving the Lord, not for human masters. Maybe you're hearing all of this and you're just thinking it sounds exhausting. <laughs> isn't this just an extra job? Life is hard enough out there. Um, isn't this just something extra that other people don't have to do? Well, maybe in one way it's something else to be considering whilst we're out on our front lines. But maybe it's the thing as well. Not just to always be telling people about Jesus, but to represent him well as ambassadors wherever we find ourselves. So there is a wherever aspect. Go into all the world and to all of our different front lines. We're gathered and then scattered. There is a whenever aspect to this, <clears throat> that he is the Lord of good days, bad days, and a whole bunch of average days. And there is a whatever aspect to this, that we serve with good will to those who we're serving. Where do we grow from here? There might be a whole variety of different answers, but a key starting point with a massive issue like that is that you break it down into smaller components and each one of us is the sm smaller components. We will never get anywhere until we all accept that we're all to be equipped for our everywhere. <coughs>